Uh, for the past couple of months as a church, we've been looking at the book of Mark in the scriptures. And we've kind of been walking through this just kind of chapter by chapter, verse by verse, looking at the life of Jesus Christ um, so that we can know him and love him and follow him kind of as a community. And so this morning we're going to continue in that series uh, in the book of Mark. And so um, we're going to pick up in Mark chapter 6, um, verse 6. I'm going to read our text for us, just a few verses this morning. Kind of the second part of verse 6. It says, Uh, Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village and calling the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two and he gave them authority over impure spirits. And these were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals but not an extra shirt. And whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So the disciples went out and they preached that people should repent. And they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. This is the word of God from Mark chapter six. I want us to notice a couple of things this morning as we're kind of walking through this text. I want us to notice the first thing is this, like all the, the ways that Jesus meets us. All the ways that we're going to see in this text that he goes about drawing us to himself so that we can see him and hear him and follow him and believe in him. But I also want us to notice this in the text. We're going to walk through this verse by verse. And I want us to notice how as his followers that Jesus desires so much more than for us just to come and and to see him. Like that at the core of of Jesus' heart, the core of Jesus' desire for us is not that we would just be people that that watch, that spectate, but that you and I at the core of who we are, we would become people who participate with him, who literally do the very things that he does in our world. I was reminded of that this week, that, that as a people of God, we weren't made just to spectate, but we were made to participate. I was thinking about when I was in third grade and I grew up in Kentucky, which is God's country, if you were wondering. And um, I grew up in this small town and I went to the county school. One of my best friends, he grew up going to the city school. And it was in that time that like Little League basketball was just like what dominated third graders worlds. At least you were in Kentucky. And, and so I remember I spent the night with him on a Friday night and the next morning he had a Little League basketball game on Saturday morning. And so I went and I was just excited to, to go and to watch him, to like cheer on my buddy. He was tall, he was a good shooter, good athlete. I was excited to go and just cheer him on. And I show up at their little rundown gym and um, I noticed that he only had three other people that showed up on his team that morning. If you know anything about basketball, you have to have five to play. And so they had four people and I'd showed up there and of course I had my sneakers on. You don't go anywhere without your sneakers when you're a little boy in third grade. And so I showed up and they said, hey, do you want to play? <laughs> and I'm like, of course I want to play. Like, Of course I don't want to just sit and watch my friend. Of course I want to jump in the game. And I was thinking about that story this week and kind of about this moment that that we find ourselves in this morning, that that all the different places that we come here this morning, that some of you come here and you don't believe in Jesus at all, that he's just been this, this concept or this theory that you don't believe in Jesus, that some of you, you've been walking with him, but you've kind of lost your zeal for, for Christ. You've lost your zeal for, for his mission. Some of you have been walking hand in hand with Jesus. And what I love is that Jesus meets us in this place and we show up here expecting to see, expecting to watch. And he says, do you want in? Do you want to play? Like, You've got everything that you need to to participate in this grand mission that that I've created you for. Do you want in the game? 
There's a spot for you in the game. If you want to play, we want you in. And I love the dynamic nature of this text where Jesus looks at every single one of us and he says, do you want to play? Do you want in the game? Do you want in? So we're going to walk through this verse by verse. In verse six, it says, then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. What do you think about when you hear that verse? What comes to your mind? How do you picture Jesus? The thing that stood out to me this week as I was reading through this text, this verse, is I was thinking about Jesus' love for people. You go, what are you talking about? Where do you see that? How do you see that in verse six? And this is what I mean. Uh, I was thinking about this week how every single one of us, like, we are created by God. Our parents played a pretty significant part in that, right? Um, But in the middle of the Bible, David, this um, man who's after God's own heart, in Psalm 139, he writes this song to God, and I love what he says. It's recorded for us in the middle of the Bible. In Psalm 139, he says, God, you, you created my inmost being. God, you knit me together when I was in my mom's womb. My frame, it wasn't hidden from you in that secret place when I was made. Your eyes, they saw my unformed body. And this week I was thinking about the intrinsic value of all of us. Do you realize that the reason that you are on planet earth, the reason that I am here is because Christ Jesus wanted you and loved you. And before you were even a baby, you were loved by God and known by God, formed by God, created by God. I was thinking about the beauty of what's unfolding in this first verse where the maker meeting those that he had made. I can't, I'll, I'll never forget the, the moment that I, I first saw my little girl Finley. I'll never forget the moment I, I first saw my little boy Jones. And for those of you guys who are parents, you, you remember that. Like, it's like it was just yesterday, right? Like, first times that the maker lays eyes on what it has made. And I love this picture that we get of Jesus, of him going from village to village. The maker meeting those that he had made. I love what we see in this text because uh, in this story we see that the love of Jesus for all people. Jesus doesn't just want his disciples to know him. He doesn't just want his love to go to some people like his, his little group, like a little group of us who are gathered here this morning. That The love of Jesus is for all people. And he starts out in this story, going from village to village, looking his creation in the eyes. I was thinking about my mother-in-law who's here with us this morning. And uh, my, my wife has three younger sisters and they kind of are all scattered all around. And, and so one of the things that my mother-in-law and my father-in-law will do is that so often they'll, they'll get in the car and they'll go to the weekend and they'll spend time with one sister. They'll come back and they'll spend time with us for a little while and they'll, they'll get in the car again. They'll go and see another sister. And they, they just travel going from, from kid to kid to, to, to see them, to love them. And it's this picture that we get of Jesus traveling from village to village, looking his people that he loves so much in the eyes. The love of Jesus for all people. Jesus for all people. In verse seven, it says, and he called the 12 to him and he began to send them out two by two And he gave them authority over impure spirits. I think it's so powerful what we see Jesus doing here. The four just kind of big verbs that we see. I know there are a couple more verbs, but the four big ones in this this passage that that he's teaching. Uh, 
and he's calling and he's sending and he's giving. And I go, what a picture of, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This, this cycle that just keeps going on in our lives of him teaching us and calling us and sending us and giving to us, him teaching and calling and sending and giving. Now, this is what he's still doing today, right? Do you realize that for the rest of our lives that God will spend the rest of our lives teaching us about him? Until the day that we die, he's gonna teach us about his love and his heart. He's gonna continue to, 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 to overwhelm us with this reality that, that he loved us enough to die for us and that he was too strong for death and for our sin to keep him down, that, that for the entirety of our lives, God will spend his life teaching us. He's gonna teach us in moments like this. He's gonna teach us in moments when, when you go home on a Tuesday night and you're tired, but you know that what you need more than anything is just to open up the scriptures and just to spend 10 minutes reading. He'll teach you. He'll teach you through your friends. He'll teach you through your spouses. He'll teach you through your parents. He'll teach you through nature. The reality is that Jesus spends his life teaching us. And he calls us. You realize that the God who sent his only son to die for us that God is calling us to know him, to not just hear about his love, but to experience his love, to step into that love. He's teaching us, he's calling us, and he's sending us. And I think for too long as the people of God, we've, we've forgotten about our sentness. That life as a follower of Jesus isn't just about coming here on Sundays. It's not just about having our quiet time with God in the mornings. We are not made just to be people that consume, consume, consume. He's called us and he sends us. He sends us back into our homes, back into our workplaces, back into our neighborhoods to represent him, to show the world and to tell the world about the goodness and the realness of Jesus Christ. He teaches, he calls, he sends, and he gives, he empowers us for the journey that he has for us, for the mission he has for us. And I was just thinking about these four words, teaching, calling, sending, and giving, and it just hit me that, that this life with God, a, a life of a follower of Jesus, a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it meant for the disciples, it was never just to be about spectating. That you and I were not made just to be spectators of God. But from the very beginning, we were made to be participants with God in this world for his glory and for other people's good. You know, you, you reflect back on all the things that the 12 had seen Jesus do up until this point. These guys for about a year had a front row seat to the work and the life of Jesus Christ. And so for those of you who have been with us for the past couple months, just think about some of the stories that, that we've read, some of the things that we've seen in Jesus. If you've never read through the book of Mark or if you've not been with us, if this is your first Sunday, we're so glad you're here. I invite you to go home and to read Mark chapter one through five. Think about all the things that, that Peter and Andrew and James and John, the disciples saw him do. They saw him calm a storm, drive out demons from this man who was possessed. They saw him heal the sick. This guy who spent his entire life in a wheelchair because he was paralyzed and Jesus showed up and laid his hand on him and he began walking for the first time in his life. You think about all the things that the disciples got to see. And I love in this story, 
we see that the heart, the desire of Jesus for his disciples is not that they would just stand on the sidelines and be spectators, but that you and I would be participators. It's not even a word. We'd be participants. <laughs> My freshman year of high school, um, I played football and um, I know you're like, you played football? I know I did. Just take my word for it. And, and I remember our freshman year, we just had this incredible um, quarterback that played for our team. And all state, three different years, um, went on to play college football, just this incredible athlete. He could run, he could throw, he saw the field like nobody else. Like there was just something about like standing on the sideline and watching him that just gave me confidence. Like, and I love to just watch from him and to learn from him and to see him, to see the way that he handled situations, to see the way that he read defenses, to see the way that, that he reacted. And I remember uh, he graduated and the next year I remember standing on the sideline um, and the coach walked up to me and he had the ball in his hand and he threw it to me and he says, all right, it's your turn. Your turn to get in the game. You're in. And this is the moment for the disciples that they had a front row seat to, to Jesus. They'd been watching him and learning from him and being in awe of him. And Jesus takes the football, throws it in their hands. You're in the game. Your turn to play. I want to ask you a question and you might not have an obvious um, quick answer and that's totally okay, but I want you to think about this. Have you ever seen God working through someone. Have you ever seen God working through someone? This week, um, I witnessed this in just kind of a neat way. One of my coworkers, um, we were going to lunch and he was telling me about what had just kind of happened the past few hours before. And he told me that he, he kind of walked in and um, there was a guy from our church that was on his heart. And so he just said, I just kind of had this sense that I was supposed to just call this guy and encourage him and, and let him know I loved him, let him know I was thankful for him. I don't know why, just one of those moments where um, just felt like I needed to encourage him and, and love him. And so he, he calls this guy and um, he said, hey, just wanted to, I was thinking about you, you're on my heart, just wanted you to know that I loved you and wanted to encourage you. And this guy said, hey, do you realize that today like, is the day several years ago that like, um, I got a DUI? <laughs> like, today was like, this was the day several years ago to the day. And, and you have no idea how much it means to me that like, you encouraged me, that you were thinking about me. Like, to know that like, through this journey of mine, you like, have stuck with me and you didn't throw the towel in on me. Like, You've been with me? And my friend, my coworker was telling me about this at lunch and it was just one of those moments where I was going just amazed at God, going, man, my, my friend had no idea. Like, that's just the way that God works. It's so often he will put people on our hearts. And if we're faithful, like you, you see God work and it's just one of those moments where I was just in awe of the way that God works, the way that he cares for us, the way that he wants us to know that he loves us, the way that he works to encourage us. And if you've ever seen God at work, it's amazing. And what we see in the life of Jesus is that although every single one of us, we start out as spectators, 
as people watching him, as people who are in awe of him, we weren't made to stop there. As followers of Jesus, he invites us in to participate. And this is a reality that that there is great joy in spectating, but there is even greater joy in participating. You go, what are you talking about? Participating in what? I I think what he's wanting to, to get at here is that you and I would be people who help others discover the realness and the goodness and the love of God that was displayed through Christ the Son on the cross. And that triumphed over death and sin and shame as he came back to life. We were not made to to simply spectate the works of God. We were made to participate with God. To let his love and his heart and his works and his power flow through us. So that the entire world will know that God is not against them that God is for them. That God doesn't hate, that God doesn't give up, that that God has sent Christ to prove his love. I love in the story that that Christ chose to reveal himself first, personally, to some. And so some of you here this morning, this this is your story, that your very first encounter with God was like one of these people who were sitting in the villages. That long before, um, before your, anything else happened in your life, like Jesus revealed himself to you. You were going about your life, you were a teenager, you were in college, you were a 43-year-old, whatever, like, and Christ just showed up in your life. You weren't looking for him, you weren't searching for him, and your very first encounter with God was him personally. For others, the way that Christ has chosen to reveal himself first is through people, through participants. And so you look at your life and you go, man, I didn't have this just like overwhelming encounter with God where he showed up and spoke or where I was driving to work and I just heard him or I, and I encountered him. For, for you, your first encounter with God was through a parent or a friend, or a neighbor who was consumed with the love and the goodness of God. This is my story. That before I had ever really encountered God, at least that I can remember anyway, I remember encountering God through my mom. My mom is uh, one of the most devoted to God people I know. sitting in, in, in her car and um, watching her. I learned generosity, and selflessness. I learned from watching my mom what it looks like to sacrifice for the good of other people. I learned that, that walking with Christ is what matters most in this world. And long before I ever encountered Jesus personally, I encountered him through one of his people. And as I've been following him, I've, I've seen the work of God in my own life. I've seen God heal. I've seen his power. I've seen some amazing ways that he draws people to himself. Supernatural, mir- miraculous, mysterious. 
And what hit me this week is that I've been a spectator to God. And part of the journey that he takes every single one of us on is from making us in, from spectators into participants. Do you realize that Christ's target is the entire world? And part of the way that he has chosen to save the world is through us? Do you realize that? That of all the things that God could have given us to do on earth, he is letting us help people step into eternal salvation, eternal life. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where you just are in awe of God, where maybe it's, where it's here and Adam's leading us in worship and, and, and your heart is just connected to God and you're overwhelmed with his goodness and his realness. And I go, you think it's awesome to, to see God, to behold God, to connect with God? Imagine how much more so it is when you're worshiping beside someone who has come to know Jesus because of your life. Imagine how much sweeter worship is, not when you're just worshiping God, but when you've played a part in, in the person sitting right beside you, helping come to know the goodness of God. You think about Alice, and this is your story, right? It's like, Chris, you're on the other side of that, right? It's like, this is what happens. When the people of God go, man, my job is not just to come and to sit and to watch. My job is to participate with God. And so let's keep going in verse eight. So these were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. And whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And so we could talk about these few verses in several different ways this morning, but for our time here, for this conversation, it's like Jesus is trying to communicate to his people you need a whole lot less for this journey than you think. I was just kind of picturing what this would have been like as Jesus calls the disciples to him and says, hey, I want you to go and I want you to share. And so you can just imagine them going, okay, like, let me go home and pack my bag. Let me book a flight, make hotel reservations. Let me make a few phone calls. Let me go to Target, pick up some extra deodorant. Let me get some snacks for the road. Like you think about what this would have been like as Jesus says, hey, I want you to go. And I want you to make much of me. I want you to share me. And you can just imagine them going, okay, let me go home. And Jesus says, no, I don't, I don't want you to go home. I want you to, to, to go right now. You don't, need, you don't need anything else for the journey. You got the clothes on your back, the staff in your hand. You don't need money or food. Just go. And you can just imagine them going, but where am I going to stay? And how am I going to buy food? How terrifying this would be. You know, the reality is that in our lives, Christ still calls us to go. And the reality is that when Christ calls us to do things, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, you know what this is like. Invite your neighbor over for, for lunch. Share your story with your family, how you came to know Jesus. Take a meal to that person that you passed on the way home from work today that you know is hungry. Like we, we, we know the, 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 the end, the, the speaking into our lives of the voice of God. We know what it's like for him to send us. And isn't it true that so often in those moments we start thinking about, okay, well, let me go get ready for it. 
that before I invite my neighbor over for lunch, let me read a book about evangelism. Or, or before I, I go and take a meal to that person who's hungry, let me check my banking account and make sure I have enough money. And I just think about how often Jesus just looks at us and says, my people, you need a whole lot less for this journey than you think. You see, the adventurous life of following Jesus is a life of faith and dependence on God. This adventurous life with God is a life that is marked with real trust in a real God that will really come through for us. And what it means to be his follower is that we respond in real time to his voice, to his desires. It's a life that goes not knowing how things will turn out. And I love how it ends in verse 12. And the disciples went and they preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So word of God from Mark 6. You know, the disciples, they had seen and they really believed that life was better for people when Jesus was in their lives. These people really believed, the disciples really believed that life got better for people when Christ was around. You know, I think it's so interesting of all the things that the disciples could have said, why in the world did, did when, they, when they left, the presence of Jesus, why in the world did they tell people to repent? Why was that their message? We talk about repentance a, a lot here at Ethos because we're not perfect people, we're sinful people. And the idea of repentance is that, that you continue just to turn around, that you continue to, to, to turn your life back towards God. That when you fail and when you mess up and when you go farther than you ever thought you'd go, you don't have to just sit in pity and shame. You just repent. You just turn your life back to God. Repentance is this idea of, of changing directions. It's changing the course of your life. And so often I grew up going to church. And whenever I would hear the word repent, I've always gone to the negative that it's something that was said to me so that I would stop doing something else. You know, but I wonder if the idea that the disciples had of repentance was a little different. I wonder if when they went out and when they looked people in the eyes and when they met real people on the real sidewalks and when they, when they were working beside their coworker in their little cubicle, I wonder if when they invited people to repent, they had a different definition in mind. I wonder if they were inviting people not just to turn from their badness. I wonder if they were inviting people to turn to Jesus and his goodness. I wonder if the focus as they went wasn't necessarily on people's badness. I wonder if the focus was on Jesus's goodness. They knew how good life was for people who had Christ. And so they looked at people and they said, just, just turn to him. Just, just turn to him. Anything that's standing in your way from encountering and following and walking, just, just turn to him. 
And I was thinking, man, do we really believe this as a church? Like, do we really believe that life is best for people when Christ is in their lives? It's like, Farron, do you really believe that? That life is better for people when Christ is in their lives? Does Brant, do I believe this? And when it's so powerful, it's not that disciples just believed that life got better for people when Christ was in their lives. Life actually got better for people when Christ was in their lives. And so I love this picture that we get that because the disciples went, that demons were driven out, that because the disciples went, sick people were cared for. And I go, this is what happens when the people of God go. You know, the kingdom of God is, is not one whose best days are in the past. I don't believe Jesus is sitting around in heaven, reading through the book of Acts, going, man, those were the good old days. You know, the reality is that, that the kingdom of God, Jesus tells us this, the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. And for the people of God and for the church and for his kingdom, the best days are not behind us. Jesus is saving people. He's saving people out of Satan's grip. And he's saving them forever. And he's refusing to let Satan have them back. Jesus Christ right now is healing marriages. I was reminded of this a couple of days ago. I was thinking about a couple that I just care so much about and um, there was some infidelity and unfaithfulness in their marriage. And yet I saw them and man, they're, they're still together. And they're not just still together. There's forgiveness and there's grace. And they're not holding this, this sin, the past over each other's head, that there's, there's real healing, there's, there's mercy, and there's love. And I, and I saw that, I was thinking about them, and I, and I teared up because I realized that is happening because Jesus Christ is forcefully advancing his kingdom. And when Jesus Christ is near, life gets better. Jesus, right now, is delivering people from addictions, from lackluster lives, Jesus right now is delivering people from oppression and shame. Delivering people from lives of darkness. And he's opening eyes to see his realness and his goodness and his faithfulness and his power and his love. And I'm convinced that what God is looking for is not people who will just sit here and spectate. It's not people who show up at the gym just wanting to watch. But he's looking for people who wanna get in the game. I'm convinced he's looking for people who really believe. He's looking into our lives, into our hearts, and he's, and he's looking for, is there belief? 
Is there belief in Logan and Jill? Is there belief in Greg and Joni? Is there belief in Andrew and Keila? Is there belief in Ryan and Plum? Is there belief in Brandon and Courtney? Is there belief in Ty and Dolly? Is there belief that life is best for people when Christ is in their lives? And I think he's looking at that. He's looking for that in our hearts. As the people of God, do we wanna just come here and play this game or do we really believe that, that life is best for other people when Christ is sitting on the throne of their hearts? Do we really believe that? Or are we just playing some game? You see, I'm convinced that when God sees that belief in our heart, he will use it. I'm convinced that when you and I know that, that life is best for others, when Christ is sitting on the throne of their heart, he will use us. He will use us to draw people back to his heart. He will use us to be a part of mending broken marriages. He will use us to help people suffering from the oppression and the strongholds of the enemy. He will use us. I don't know where you are in your journey with God, but I know that we're all in different places. That some are here this morning and if you were, just had the courage to say it, if you would say it, you would say this, that, that you, you want life with God. But you're waiting on him to come to your village. You're, you're waiting on him to reveal himself to you. And I, and I just want to invite you that, that maybe he is coming to you. But the way that he is first choosing to encounter you is through his people. I want you to notice that the only harsh thing that we see in this entire text is when people refuse to listen. When they won't keep an open mind. And I just invite you, if you are not a believer in Jesus, you are so welcome here, you are so wanted here. I just invite you to not shut the doors of the people of God in your life. That if there are are people in your life that, that know God and love God and follow God, don't, don't close the door. I go, if, if Jesus is, is, is sent your, whoever it is in your life, your neighbor or your mom or your dad or your best friend or your college roommate, whoever it is in your life, if he has sent someone into your life to prepare the way, to set the table, to put out the utensils and the plate and to cook the meal, the joy of getting to know Jesus, of getting to sit down with Jesus, encountering his heart is unmatchable. So please, don't shut the door. Don't shut the door. For others, here in a minute, we're gonna take communion. We do this every week. We take the bread and the cup. And maybe you're like me this week and you just realized that you've been doing a whole lot more spectating than participating. And I just invite you to, to repent this morning. To not be crippled with fear about what you don't have, but to go with what he has given you. And so for, for the, those of you who are followers of Jesus, as you break the bread and drink the cup, I wanna invite you just to ask yourself this question this morning. What has he given you? What has he given you? You know, in this text, Jesus gives his disciples the authority to drive out demons, to, to heal sick people. And maybe that is what he has given you. Maybe that's a gift that he has given to you. And so press into it.
What has he given you? Maybe he's given you a friend that just needs you to be there for them in this hard time of life. Maybe he's given you a coworker or a spouse or a parent or a child that just needs to be served and loved and pursued and prayed for. What has he given you? And then for all of us, I love the the unique application that this text has for us as a community here at Ethos. And if you don't have a community, let this community be your community. This summer, we, um, Adam talked about this. We have this just a really amazing kind of summer laid out. And we've kind of created these bookmarks and you can get one of these on the way out. We have a schedule of all the things that we're gonna be doing every Sunday here as a church. And we really just kind of sense that, that God has, has given us this space. He has put us together as a community. And he is sending us into this neighborhood. So I don't know if, if you notice on the way in, it's like there's, there's, so much just, there, there's so much need around us. There are people around us that, that do not yet know Jesus. That don't know his love, that don't know his heart. And I just wanna challenge us and invite us as a community. Let's not just come here this summer and spectate. Let's not just show up here at 10 and then leave at 11.30 and, and, and watch and be okay with sermons and songs, but may we press more into the heart of God and the mission of God as we participate with God. I, I encourage you to rearrange your schedules this summer so you can be here, so that we can be a part of this. I'm not telling you to cancel family vacation or to quit all the things that you're doing, but I'm going, man, as you, as you look on our schedule this summer, there's some amazing things. We're gonna cancel our gathering summer. We're gonna go into the neighborhood just so we can get to know people. And there are gonna be weeks where we're gonna cut our gathering short so that we can go and walk through the neighborhood and pray and meet people. And there are gonna be times where we, where we give our money and we, and we throw a cookout for the entire neighborhood. And I go, do not miss this participation point this summer. I go, he's inviting us in. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not, you're a welcome. I go, may God use us as a little community, as as one of the many amazing bodies of Christ in Nashville to bless and to serve and to love and to care for the people in this neighborhood. And may God send us and give us what we need for this journey that lies ahead. Let's pray.